So what I wanted is just to like create a resource that you don't, you know, have to, let's just say, trained economist or you are a person who's just interested in economics and how, how money works, that you don't have to spend, you know, like hours and hours and hours and hours of reading of Rothbard, Hoppe, Mises and so on and so on. And then you have to figure out yourself, maybe reading Seyfedin, okay, how can I actually put everything together? You know, I just wanted to have a single thread where you actually go from, okay, how does money emerge, how do states emerge? what we just talked about, and then, you know, is there another solution? Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, the Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. Today, we're joined by Alexander Acer, economist, entrepreneur, and author of Monetary Anarchy, The Separation of Money and State. We discuss a wide range of topics, especially related to anarchy and Bitcoin. So let's dive in. Alex, welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Luke. I'm super happy to be here. Yes, Alexander Esser, you've written a book called Monetary Anarchy. Uh, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself and a bit about the book? Sure, sure. Um, to be honest, I don't want to talk too much about me because I think uh, Bitcoin is the, it's the uh, important thing, but uh, the, uh, the necessary information is I'm like a, a trained economist. So I studied actually economics and finance. But as a university, I took the entrepreneurial route. Um, I started a online company with my, my best friend after uni. Uh, we're doing this now for, for seven years. Um, uh, these days we are actually building software. Um, to be honest, get in and out of Bitcoin. Uh, and since, but since like three years ago, I'm, I'm so deep in a rabbit hole. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. And this is the reason why I actually, um, wrote this book. So, um, yeah, basically background economics and uh, technology entrepreneur these days. All right. Um, what is the book about? The book is titled uh, Monetary uh, Anarchy, um, The Separation of, of Money and State. Um, it's basically the culmination of my, of my, of my personal um, journey into, into Bitcoin. Um, the like, long story short is uh, I actually uh, heard about Bitcoin like first time, I think 2016 or something. So actually, I think quite late in, in comparison to, to most hardcore Bitcoiners. Um, actually got into it to 2018, but then uh, dismissed it, um, because this is, was actually, um, the time when I built uh, my, my first company. So got a, a lot to do and it didn't have too much time to actually, uh, look into it properly. But, um, two years later in 2020. So when COVID broke out, um, yes. my girlfriend, um, did some marketing for a, for a shitcoin and, uh, she, she got paid, um, a little bit of a salary in the shitcoin and she asked me whether I can look into it. And this is how I got uh, again into, 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 into uh, like the, the crypto law, uh, And I think like everybody, I took a small uh, turnaround with uh, all of the Ethereum stuff, but then actually dismissed it quite quickly and, um, found the light. Yeah. Which is, which is Bitcoin. the bright orange light. Yes. Yeah. Shining like the, a beacon. <laughs> only, only detectable with laser eyes. Yes. Yes. There you go. There you go. Um, and then, um, about like specifically about the, uh, about the book, um, to be honest, like since I was like a, a teenager, um, basically just interested, like, you know, how does the world work? How does uh, politics work? How does, how does economics work in general? Right. Um, but you know, there were always these questions in my head. Uh, for instance, you know, after the financial crisis in, in, uh, to eight, um, why do all of these people get uh, get bailed out? Yeah, I, I didn't understand. Um, and I actually studied economics after the crisis. So between 2000, um, 
2011 uh, and 2015. And I was actually just sitting in uni the whole time and just, uh, you know, got to teach the neoclassical economics and uh, asking myself, hey, this doesn't make really any sense what, 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 what they're talking about. But, um, I had to, I had to choke it. Yeah. Um, uh, and in my last semester, I actually got to get to, um, know the Austrian economists. And this was the first time that uh, economics uh, made, made sense to me. Um, and, uh, then I'm, just like Bitcoin, just dismissed it because, you know, the world goes on. Uh, and if you're not into it, then uh, like in your daily life, then you're just like pay whatever. And, um, but then when I, when, when I got into Bitcoin again, I just like rediscovered the Austrians, um, started to basically reading like all about it. But, um, you know, this time not uh, because I had to or because it was like part of my university studies, but just out of pure interest. And um like everything I learned about it um, is basically what I've written in my book and basically extended like the Austrian uh, literature um, with, with Bitcoin because obviously uh, Ludwig Camises uh, didn't, didn't know Bitcoin uh, in his time. <laughs> we, we assume, I mean, Bitcoin was around. It's just that the hash rate was zero at the time. So it was hard to detect. <laughs> yeah, maybe the hash rate was not even calculated by a computer, but uh, basically with a pencil on, uh, on a white paper. <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe someone tried to find element zero somewhere out there. We can never know. Maybe on another planet, but in that case, it would be outside of our, our hash horizon and we would never know. All right. So we've had a similar journey, it seems like stumbling on Austrian economics after Bitcoin, but being, you know, anarcho-capitalist curious before that, and then just having to deep dive because it's too interesting. I mean, the first book that comes to mind when we talk about Austrian economics and Bitcoin is, of course, the Bitcoin Standard by Seyfedina Moos. So how inspired were you by that book? And what separates your book from that book? Like, uh, how are they different and from other Bitcoin books and uh, Austrian economics books? Yeah, I think what uh, Safety did actually also helped me a lot to to understand um, everything because uh, what he did um, is that uh, he actually put it into a um, economic context, which is great. But um, what I'm slacking a little bit, and this is why also I'm talking more about political economy, is actually let's just say the political side of it. The question nowadays we are organized uh, in the form of statism, but really thinking about okay, why are they even states? You know, like why do we need them? So we don't. What, yeah, <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Um, and what my book is doing, um, maybe we can actually get into get into the um, status in part because this is, I think, actually the the main differentiator. But um, what I'm really trying to do is to um, build a thread um, between money and um, like the organization of us as, as human beings in a, in a society. So first, answering the question, okay. Um, uh, why do we need money? Um, uh, probably we haven't get, uh, we, we don't have to get into this, uh, because, um, uh, I think the, the, the answer is clear. You know, we need, uh, like a medium of exchange. So we don't have, uh, so we don't have to barter with each other. Um, but what you then see over the arc of history is obviously that money always gets corrupted. Yeah. So you always have like a central, um, power, which, um, which, which coerces, um, uh, the, the money supply and, uh, like inflates the, 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 the money we have. Um, but this begs the question, obviously, okay, if we always have like the central power, which is coercing money, why do we even need the central power? Right. Um, and uh, the question that actually arises there, um, is if we were like on a completely new planet or, um, in a completely fresh society, um, 
how would we organize ourselves? Yeah, like, um, do we need a state or can we actually live in an anarchy? Um, and uh, the question you you quickly uh, get uh, into is how do we resolve conflicts? Because um, the the truth of the matter is, um, let's just say we 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 fight uh, for a um, not 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 even fight, yeah, but let's just say um, we are on this um, beautiful new planet and there is um, one side to build a house next to a river. And I was there first, but maybe one of you guys also want to build your house there. Um, and there are like no rules. Yeah. So how do we decide who's able to build the house there? Right. So, um, like that's the reason why there are like conflicts. Um, and we as human beings, if we were like completely rational, there's a principle by Hoppe, which is called the non-aggression principle, which basically says, okay, um, whoever is like the first owner of something, uh, um, has also the right to it, right? Like it's it's a homesteading, uh, homesteading, right? For puts it, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, we human beings, we are usually not uh, so rational. Yeah, we are not like, oh, okay, he was there first, and now it's like all his, right? But uh, we fight for our own right, and we try to get the better of each other, um, especially if um, in the in the absence of law. So there is this problem of 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 um of a conflict and how to like resolve this conflict, um. And this is how actually states emerge because um, usually how those conflicts uh, are resolved is by like an arbitrator who actually decides, okay, who of you um, was there first? Okay, then this is this is this is your land or this is uh, this is this is this is your land. Um, so now the question becomes, okay, who are those arbitrators and who is electing them? Yeah, and then when we actually think of like a, let's just say human pecking order, let's maybe imagine we are all back in kindergarten. Um, usually in kindergarten, there's also like a social hierarchy, right? Where like not uh, a, a kindergarten teacher tells, hey, uh, you are the most popular kid. Yeah, and now everybody has to uh, what what you want. But usually, like when children are with each other, there is like a natural, let's just say, a leader. Yeah, like um, this leader can be whatever of size, whatever, like his, 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 he's, he's already taller than, than anybody else or is maybe the smartest girl. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, people or like we human beings, we are drawn to natural leaders. So, um, the first, um, let's just say societal structure, which usually, um, arises in, in, in humanity. It's like an, it's like an, um, aristocracy, um, because you have, uh, like these natural leaders, um, who are, um, you know, are more wealthy due to their hard labor or whatever. And those people are usually the first like judges who are trying to, um, who are trying to, um, organize society. Um, and then let's just say, uh, history goes on. Yeah. Out of aristocrats, uh, becomes, uh, kings. Uh, how's this happening? Because usually like, uh, if you have sent, uh, like not a final court, uh, if you don't have like a final, um, uh, arbitrator, um, you can go from court to court to court to court and fight your decision again and again and again and again. But sometimes you just need like a final decision, right? Um, and this is how the concept of like a king evolved that you have like an arbitrators of arbitrators who's like the, who is like the final war, uh, word. But in this like in state of the world, um, there is no, let's just say, king with, with, with special rights. Because when we think of kings, right, and we are thinking of a person who's like a natural born king, who's like from a royal family and who is like the, 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 uh, who has like the right to rule. Yeah. But, um, this is not like, uh, the same definition of, of, of the word king, because in this world where we only have aristocrats, um, we have just to say one aristocrat who actually shines among 
all others, yeah, who has whatever the, the most merit as a, as a, as a natural leader. Um, and this person actually can take advantage of his position because then he's like, look, you know, um, the commoners or like the, the, like most people think I'm the most popular of all of you guys. Then he actually goes to the normal people and uh, can, can tell them, look, if you crown me your king officially, yeah, and then I can help you guys to get rid of all of the other aristocrats because in the society, usually aristocrats own, you know, wealth, their own land, their own um, property. Um, and then um, uh, the king asked them, look, um, if you have debt with those aristocrats and you elect me as a king, then I will uh, relieve you of all of your debt. The only thing I have to ask you is I'm the ruler, so I make the laws and um, uh, you, you, you give me some taxes. <laughs> and uh, this is basically um, how like kings could have emerged, not as like, a, a, let's just say, royal um, uh, person out of out of, out of nothing, um, but based on like a market mechanism, right? And then time goes on, time goes on, um, and we forget the concept of aristocrats, right? Because uh, humanity forgets. Okay, where where does the law come from? Obviously, the king makes the law. Okay, but how, how was it before, right? Um, and as time goes on, we just forget and we just take the uh, king um, for granted. And then fast forward to nowadays. Um, we have the concept of democracy, right? So uh, kings are long gone. Um, they have like a representative function, maybe Spain and England and uh, some other countries, but they are not like political actors anymore. Um, so how could it be that um, states evolved over kings? Uh, more or less, it's the same. It's the same uh, thinking as before. Yeah, um, the king had a court, and in this court were uh, the, the former uh, the, the former um, Aristocrats and also um, maybe some intellectuals who are like, uh, you know, doing the propaganda of the king. Like nowadays, maybe TV is doing the propaganda for the state. And earlier it was like um, uh, proper um, intellectuals who are like, maybe they're maybe like monks and priests who were like the first writing books and they were like in the service of the king um, spreading his word. Um, and then obviously for those intellectuals, it's quite easy to say, Look, <laughs> I'm actually doing propaganda for this guy. Um, but isn't it unfair that one person has all of this power? And usually I, as a priest, yeah, I'm far better suited to be the representative of all of the people. <laughs> and then over time, um, this concept evolves where um, you have this uprising. When you kill one single family, you have all of this wealth supposedly, yeah, um, supposedly um, spreading over the whole society. And this is how we ended up with, uh, with, with uh, democracies and, and states nowadays. Um, but the problem there is that when you go from this natural society where we all have the same law, right? Um, in this society, and when, like coming back to money, in this society, we all decide what money is, right? Like the money is... Um, you know, something scarce could be gold, could be silver, could be copper, could be shells, yeah, whatever. But we all decide what is money and nobody can uh, push like top down on us. Um, what's supposed to be money? It's like a bottom up process. Um, and over time, when we actually first, we are not losing the right um, to decide what is money to the state. The first right we actually give up is lawmaking. And with this lawmaking, the state can then decide, okay, I have the centralized power over the law, and now I decide what money is. And then you have this top-down process where states force 
the money production and fun society. Yeah, that's that's a very LTLDR. But any anyway, uh, yeah. And after after they have invented the money printer, they basically cannot run out of funds, uh, right? And uh, therefore, they cannot run out of power. So that is why they grow like cancers everywhere and uh, take more and more control over people's lives. I recently read a short book called Beyond Democracy. Uh, I don't remember the author's name, but it was very, very similar to Hoppe's Democracy, the God that failed, uh, that I guess you've read, which makes good arguments for why democracy is inherently socialist, uh, inherently collectivist uh, in nature. And uh, very few people dare to think outside that box because we're, we're spoon-fed propaganda about democracy from a very early age, that this is the rule of the people, and therefore it cannot be questioned. When it's really not ethical thing would be people ruling over their own lives, which is not the case uh, in a democracy. Democracy tends to people trying to extract resources from other people in order to enrich themselves, which is detrimental to society as a whole. Yeah, so so when did you release this book? How long has it been out? Actually in May this year, this year. And um, so a couple so a couple of months already. Um to be honest, I'm just starting to to do some podcasts uh, now because um you know, I have to I still have to like work in my in my other day job. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not it's not that I can spend and dedicate my whole time to it, which I actually would love to. So I'm really doing this let's just say in the in the service of Bitcoin. Um because for me, you know what's what's most important um like coming back to like getting into Bitcoin, um, because probably um, you had the same urge like like I did. Um, you feel like you found out a secret, yeah, and you are like the only person knowing the secret, and you first want to tell everybody about it, yeah. And then basically, I just told everybody, yeah. and I could really see, okay, shit, people are not doing the work, and they just like label me, okay, this person is crazy now, you know. <laughs> and um, I, I know I, that journey. <laughs> 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 so what I what I wanted is just to like create a resource that um you don't you know have to let's just say you are you know trained economist or um you are a person who's just interested in economics and how, how money works that you don't have to spend you know like hours and hours and hours and hours of reading of Rothbard, Hoppe, Mises, um, and so on and so on. And then you have to figure out yourself, maybe reading Safedin, okay, how can I actually put everything together? You know, I just wanted to have like a, a single thread where you actually go from okay, um how how does money emerge? How do states emerge? What we just talked about, and then you know, is there another solution which we could we can we can talk about now? Um, but then also, how does how does Bitcoin um, fit fit into everything? If you are like like new to 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 let's just say the Bitcoin space, I I think it's a cool resource just to have like a thread through um, the Austrian literature, but also including the the Hopper stuff, so um, the, the the political and statism side of this, and not only um, economics and Bitcoin. Did you ever hear about Alexander Svetsky's uh, The Spirit of Satoshi AI? I mean, I don't know him personally, but actually, I think I heard about the project. I've, I've read the book of him, but can you like remind me what this project is? It's an AI that is trained on uh, Bitcoin literature and Mises literature, are like adjacent things. So the AI comes up with answers based on that instead of based on random information on the internet plus the a couple of political correctness filters as as other AIs do. So so uh, maybe you should contact him and uh, about adding the book to to the to the brain 
of the spirit of Satoshi. That would be nice. That would be nice. Cool. Well, I haven't seen the project yet, but uh, actually, that sounds a very like a very good idea because uh, I know from like firsthand experience that um, at least the ChatGPT AI is already uh, filtering interesting things out or label stuff con uh, very controversial, which actually are not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's another thing uh, we probably need more of. Uh, you know, competing AIs. So right now, people are using ChatGPT mostly, at least for text prompts, but uh, some some healthy market competition there is probably not a bad thing. Yes, yes, most certainly. And also, um, to be honest, I don't want to relieve uh, like my whole data to like uh, a corporation somewhere. This is the next thing where I'm a little bit like, uh, whatever we do nowadays seems to be uh, more centralized, more centralized, more centralized. That's the reason why I think it's very important what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Luke, do you have any questions for Alexander that pop into your mind. Yeah, sure. So so you've talked about the historical context of how states emerge. Then where do you go from there into the Bitcoin of it all? What's the connection there that you're making? Yeah, sure. Before we get into the Bitcoin part, um, maybe let's get into the anarchy part, <laughs> which sounds very, very bad. Yeah. But uh, so, this, so this word anarchy has like a very bad connotation, right? So if I would uh, tell not, my mother, not to hey, us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. But if I would like tell a person in the street, let's live all in anarchy, yeah, people would look at you and be like, hey, okay, what's going on? And I have to admit, you know, like um, years ago, um, to be honest, if, if, you, if you would have told me anarchy, I would think immediately of like Antifa and like a left-wing extreme organization. Yeah, But the truth of the matter is anarchy at the end of the day just means rules without a ruler, right? So it doesn't mean there are no rules yeah, because uh, there are the rules we are all making. Uh, it just means that there is nobody who's like this central point of, of, of rule making. And to me, anarchy is the answer um, or is like a, another possibility to the question, do we need states, right? So if we know, okay, states over time have centralized power, have coerced our money, have coerced our, our societal organization, what is the answer to that? And possible answer is, is anarchy. And just to get this uh, bad picture out of your mind, uh, what I'm always like giving as an example is that the market for, for dating, yeah, so love relationships, this market is in complete anarchy. And it's like in complete anarchy. We don't have a single person who is like centrally ordering people to get married, to have children, whatever. Well, like every well, single well, it's, it somewhat depends on what country you're born in. <laughs> sure, sure. But let's just say, let's just say in the West. Yeah. In the West, it's like complete, it's complete anarchy on this market for, for dating. And, um, this market, I think works quite well. Yeah. So, um, uh, we do not need uh, a, a central planner to for for, for our, um, our relationships to to make things work. Um, so, like the word anarchy doesn't have to have this like super bad connotation. And now the question uh, becomes: Okay, how can you build then society based on this uh, on this on this on this on this uh, premise of anarchy? Um, and usually there are like two uh, ways to do it. The first we already like talked a little bit about earlier um, based on this um, non-aggression principle. So uh, based on morals. So um, if we all had like no emotions and we're like super rational beings and all of us accepted, okay, if person A is the proprietor of product A, yeah, yeah then I as a person B, I'm not allowed to take it away from him. Um, and we would all live with each other reasoning. Yeah, but the problem is this is not how humans work because humans 
usually are not machines. Yeah, they have emotions. They have um, they have they have desires. Yeah, they have wants. Um, and this is why this system usually fails. Um, and this is also why, as alluded earlier, we have we have violent conflicts. Um, so. I think it's possible to say, okay, we can live without a ruler, but we have to find a way how um, how how um, we would protect us from um, actors who are not obeying this non-aggression principle, who try to take stuff away uh, from from me or from you um, with, with violence. And what basically, let's just say, literature says, yeah, is that you can um, also. Um, build a society based on like the market mechanism. So if we all have a need for protection from violence, okay, what happens? There are like smart entrepreneurs out there who would build a service, would then protect us, um, from, from violent actors. So it's like a service you can, you can, you can, um, you can consume. Yeah. Um, and now like thinking about this, this, this sort of a bit more, um, it would obviously be easy to argue, yeah, okay, um, then we have like these little protection agencies um, who are uh, protecting us from violent actors. But what's what, what's happening if there's a conflict and both of the people involved in the, in the conflict, they both um, yeah. have a protection agency. Would the protection agencies not fight with each other then? And then in the end, there would emerge one big protection agency and um, yeah. this big protection agency would be somehow like a state or something. Um, the answer is no. This would not happen. Mm. <clears throat> because what would happen in the society is that when when the protection agencies fight each other, <clears throat> and if they're not resolving their conflicts um, peacefully, they would have like very high costs. Because imagine whenever you try to get the, the to to get the better of a under of like a different agency. Um, <clears throat> you would have high costs because your own people would maybe die, or your own people would um, you have to you have to replace them. So, um, what those protection agencies would do, they would try to find a peaceful solution to the conflict. So, um, as we said before in this um, in this example, that law does not have to be made um, top down by like a central authority. Law can also be um, made bottom up. So. Um, if all of the protection agencies have the need to um, solve a conflict peacefully, again, what would happen? The market would provide a solution. So the market um, recognizes uh, the need for like an arbitrator. And then as like protection services evolve, also arbitration services would evolve. So um, like I as, a printer, I as an entrepreneur, I can basically offer my service. Okay, I'm now an arbitrator. And in my court, this law is um, the rule. And then this protection services, they can actually contract me if they both agree, okay, if we have a conflict, we go to Alex, he will solve our conflict. And then they can actually take my uh, understanding of the law or like the law I basically um, suggest, and then they can market this law to their um, to their users, so to their consumers, um, so to the, to, the, to the end user. And then over time, the end user will decide, okay, um, to which protection agency do I subscribe? So um, to whom do I give like my my, my money? And um, over time, like a law system would evolve, which basically means the most popular, like the law we all live we, uh, we all live by, would be like the most popular law um, in this in the society. 
um, what would that mean? This would mean um, that the law um, is not 100% um, similar. So there's not one single law, but uh, bear in mind, nowadays, there's also not one single health insurance, right? Like health insurance, we all know what we, what we talk about when we talk about health insurance, but it's different in different countries. And also it's different even within that country. So if you go to, to like private health insurance in the US, um, there are like whatever 500 offerings, and all of them are slightly different, but they're similar enough that um, the consumer recognizes them as um, health insurance. And the same would happen to, to law. So we would have maybe 500 different laws under 500 different arbitration services, um, but the law would still be more or less the same, except for um, small um, differences like, okay, um, in this area, the um, death penalty um, is part of the law, but in another area, um, it's not part of the law. So people would move to the law they wanna, they, they, they wanna live by. Um, and when you actually, um, think this through, um, you would get like very, like, we would say, you know, weird, um, weird, um, law systems because there might be a place where like hard drugs like heroin, um, are completely illegal. But why? Because all of the people who want to consume heroin, they would all live there. And if I'm not living there, then, like, what do I care, right? So um, there is no there is no conflict if everybody wants to, uh, wants wants the same in this in this in this area. Um, in the system, um, it's hard, you know, to get your mind around this concept. Okay, um, law and and law and protection from violence doesn't have to be organized by the state. It can be organized by the market. Like everything can be organized by the market and. As we are living in um, in a world where this is not the place or, or where, where where this is not the case, it's easy to forget like this this, this power of the market. Um, the the counter argument I usually get, or which is also quite true, is um, uh, there is a concept which is called the tragedy of the commons, and tragedy of the commons basically means um, a public good. So, for instance, a firefighting service. So, if I was living in the society um, in a in a city. Um, obviously, um, we need a firefighting service, but the problem uh, quickly becomes, okay, who needs a firefighting service? And the answer is everybody. And as everybody needs us, like the, the, the willingness to pay for it is like super low. Why? Because, um, I know, okay, everybody else will pay for it because we all need it. So I don't have to pay for it because I will be covered with it anyways. Because if, if the, if, if my house burns, they will just, um, they will, they will make sure it doesn't burn anymore because otherwise the house of my neighbor also burns and he might be protected, right? So, um, you have this concept of public goods and, um, like one big argument for democracy is, Hey, we need the central authority to overcome this problem of public goods. Um, but a very cool counter argument to this is, um, if we are thinking about restaurants, charity and tipping, yeah, why are we tipping restaurants everywhere in the world? At first sight, like doesn't make any sense, but uh, but the reason for it is um, we give tips because we want that the service in the restaurant is very good, but and we also don't only want it like in the home place, but we do it like everywhere because we want the service everywhere to be very good, right? Um, and the same concept could evolve with um, public goods, you know, like 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 bridges, like like firefighting services, even like national defense. Yeah, think of like national defense, like a like a sports club. So companies will actually maybe you know pledge a certain amount of the revenues to like the national defense service of our anarchic uh, society, um, and then 
in return, they can use um, this 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 um, flash as marketing. Like, look, um, we actually give five percent of our profits to our national defense service, um, and now that's the reason why we are allowed to market as very um, patriotic or very uh, or as as like a good company. And then over time, a system would evolve where we can even overcome this problem of 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 um, of the the tragedy of the commons. So this is let's just say the um, uh, argument for 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 anarchy that this can also work without a central authority. So uh, let me let me quickly stop there and get into uh, questions before we go to the to the Bitcoin part. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've been thinking a lot about how a um, more consensualist society could emerge out of the deadlock of democracy that we're living in currently and i think the role that bitcoin plays is first and foremost as unseizable property so if i point a gun to your head and say alex give me all your bitcoins you can choose not to and there's no way for me to use force and extract it from your head because all bitcoins are in someone's head at the end of the day because it's all about keeping a secret so it's very hard to confiscate from a game theoretical perspective if i threatened each and every bitcoiner on the planet i would get about half their bitcoins so so they're on average 50 percent more costly to try to steal someone's bitcoins than to try to steal someone's other stuff like more physical stuff and i think this is a, a very underrated aspect of uh, of uh, what bitcoin does for people already i mean everyone is afraid of the five or 15 or 21 dollar ranch attack depending on how how much inflation you have in your country but the the thing that they leave out is that they they are being attacked by a five dollar wrench or a ten dollar wrench at the moment via inflation and via taxes they, they are being coerced into paying for stuff that they didn't necessarily sign up for so i think that this is this is how bitcoin removes the profitability of violence from the equation. So in that sense, it's, it's more akin to intellectual armor than, uh, than a weapon. Okay, we have some big news. We have a new lead sponsor, Amber App. They're the number one exchange in the Southern Hemisphere. They're rated for the best customer service around and their global launch is coming. But the reason we're partnering with Amber App is because of the people. If you haven't listened to our episode with Izzy, CEO of Amber App, you really should go check it out. You'll see why it made perfect sense to partner with Izzy and Amber App. That's all I'll say for now. You really have to check it out for yourself. They have loads of great features coming that we're excited to share with you when the time comes. But for now, just check out the episode, check out their website, amber.app. You can see for yourself why we're thrilled to bring Amber App on as our lead sponsor and partner. So go check it out. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, the privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy to use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. And the best part is they've been making huge improvements to the app. They're really focusing on the user experience, adding advanced features for power users. They just keep getting better. You send your coins to your Wasabi Wallet and they get combined with loads of other coins using the Wabi Sabi protocol. So they're private on the other end. Your tracks are covered, so you can work on expanding your freedom footprint without worrying about your privacy. So, check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Have you been thinking along same, similar lines uh, about how, how we transition into a, 
a more peaceful society? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love your arguments. Um, I, 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 uh, I think um, on the on the same lines. Um, the only thing I think we we differ a little bit is that um, unfortunately I have to say I was actually thinking really long, really hard about this um, because eventually when you um, you know when you read all of this and when you actually think it through and actually you know like leave out emotions um, for for a moment. Um, I personally would love to see like a world without states. So I would love to basically sit here and really say, Hey, I'm like a 100% anarcho capitalist. And I really think a society without states would be better. Um, the unfortunate truth is, and I'm also like mentioning this um, a little bit in the book, um, where I just have to like, you know, hold my hands up and be like, okay, you know, um, there is not um, this um, concept. Okay, nowadays we don't have state states, and uh, uh, nowadays we have states, and tomorrow we don't. Um, it will be like a long, long process um, because let's just say you know, in, vo in one single country, everybody you know, we have the cyber Bitcoinization, and everybody says, okay, um, we defund the state, um, and now uh, we all live in anarchy. The problem is that if this was to happen, um, the system I described before, where we maybe use charity to um, to fund um, like national defense, G a geyser fund for the fire brigade. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, but this. I mean, personally, I actually think the system could evolve, but it takes time to evolve. And in between, you have like this power vacuum. And if other countries would not like switch to this Bitcoin standard, they would actually take advantage of this, of this, of this power vacuum and, um, uh, were to annex our, our, our newly found, um, um, anarchy society. Um, so. Yeah, so it's not like this direct step from, hey, we are living in the world we're living today to like this Bitcoin standard uh, based on anarchy. So there must be something in between. And what I'm thinking um, of this in-between step, this is actually what you just said, there's this other concept, it's called minarchy, and minarchy basically means minimal state. Um, before in history, this minimal state was never possible because the problem is as soon as you say, hey, yes, we need a state, a state wants to grow because also bear in mind, states, they are also um, in anarchy to each other. There is not like a single state, but states try to get the better of each other um, and and have like hunger for like like more and more power, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a, this is a Misesian argument from the beginning, like that a minimal state is as utopian as no state at all, that, that it's, it's simply not possible because of the cancerous nature of, of their growth. Yeah, correct. But I actually think, and here it comes, which I think is like my personal solution. Maybe you find an argument that uh, my personal solution doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. But uh, my personal solution of, of thinking about this is <clears throat> with Bitcoin. Actually, uh, I think it's the first time in history that we have this possibility of a minimal state. Why? Because they cannot coerce the money supply. So they have to work within a certain limit, which is basically the limit of Bitcoin, right? So maybe there is a possibility to like take the cancer out of the state. So this nature that they want to grow, grow, grow. And they really have to focus on their, let's just say, main reason for existence. And as we discussed earlier, their main reason for existence is the resolution of conflicts, which basically means security and lawmaking. And the world I'm personally envisioning is that in a first step, we actually are able to scale back 
the state back back to their original meaning yeah of conflict resolution and they are not like you know meddling in all of this whatever transportation uh, healthcare medicine schools education and so on like there and so many things you know and i think as a first step we cannot basically eradicate them but we have to really make sure that they only are able to focus on this um, protection and lawmaking part and if they are like that small then i actually think we can take another step and hopefully like eradicate them whatsoever. Um, but I don't think it's possible without this in-between step, because if you don't have it, there's like this power vacuum, which other states would, you know, chill. Yeah, that's interesting. I think we are living in that step right now. That thing is playing out, like El Salvador uh, being the the obvious first mover here. But but states are already competing for brain power. Like there is a brain drain from more oppressive places to uh, more lucrative places for, for Bitcoiners in particular, but for big brain people in general, and people are moving to where they're treated better. So people vote with their, their feet, as, uh, as we say. And I, I don't think you call this an individual solution, which I think is, that's the, uh, the poodle's kernel or <laughs> whatever the expression is that we each need to find our own individual solution to this problem, how we can remove as much noise from the equation of our lives uh, as possible. And uh, you can do this in many ways. You can First, you can, you can throw your TV out your window, uh, which is a, a rock and roll move to do, and stop watching the news. You can stop consuming mainstream media uh, totally. And you can also opt out of all sorts of other things. And the, the ultimate opt out move, which you can do to any extent you want, is to convert your fiat currency into Bitcoin. Uh, and the more you do that, the more you separate yourself from the noise of uh, governments uh, fighting one another, the more you actually live in and on Bitcoin and you interact with other Bitcoiners and use Bitcoin not only using it in the sense of moving satoshis on the time chain but also in what we're doing now com having conversations with other bitcoiners and trading information with one another literally uh, limitless potential there and and so much to do and so much to find out and i think we're seeing this move from collectivism to individualism playing out uh, in real time as we transition into the future and i i somewhat agree with how you describe it. I just view these as maybe not steps, but, but a more gradual change. And it's very individual and it's different. It differs a lot from, from person to person. I mean, there are people who live on nothing but Bitcoin at the moment, uh, which I suspect is the category all three of us fall into that we're somewhere in between our fiat lives and our, our Bitcoin lives. And we're, we're trying to allocate more and more time and effort into the Bitcoin side of things, but we're still somewhat tied to, uh, paying taxes. And I mean, <laughs> we, whenever we buy something at the supermarket, we're paying taxes. Like whenever we use fiat currencies, we're stealing from our children. So we, we try to do that as little as possible, but we're still somewhat stuck in the, in the in the legacy system and we need to have one step in that in order for us to be able to build this new reality in parallel to that and i think it's very much akin to what happened in 
like say Czechoslovak after the Berlin Wall fell and, and uh, there was this big underground movement that started doing things consensually amongst themselves without even involving the state at all. So, so I think we, we, we're seeing a kind of grassroots revolution of individualists happening all over the world at the same time. That's how, how I describe it. The first stages of hyper-Bitcoinization. It's or hopefully already there, yeah. I have like one or two things to, to add to that. Um, because, you know, like when you get into all of this, you want things to change, you know, as fast as possible. Yeah. Like tomorrow I want to live in this like Bitcoin world. But, uh, but the honest truth is that uh, most of society uh, is still, as you said, like living completely in the fiat world and they're like not ready, you know. And if you force this change too quickly, I'm actually afraid. Just things will, will break down a little bit. Yeah. What I'm currently like thinking, I don't have a, I don't have a final, like, um, let's just say opinion about it yet. But what I'm currently like contemplating a little bit is this notion of empires falling, right? So, um, you have the US, which is, you know, supposedly like in their last stages of global domination. Before that, you had uh, Great Britain. Before that, you had the Dutch. Before that, you had Romans and so on and so on. Then you have like these empires who like fall, right? But the eventual end of those empires always came at a time when they lost their control over money. Yeah, you had like yeah. um, hyperinflation. You had the, the value of the currency spiraling out of control. And the central banks or like the banks or like the financial system at the time or the state was not able to create a stable situation. Again, the society functions. What I'm trying to find out currently is that whether actually Bitcoin helps the fiat system to, let's just say, stay in the game for longer, right? Because this has happened in the past over and over and over and over and over again. The systems basically collapsed. But the difference we have right now is that there is a solution outside of this, of this mainstream system. And this solution, which is Bitcoin, actually could, I don't know, uh, but could force you know, more uh, of sort of like a economic responsible behavior onto the state or like onto the US or onto, let's just say, we as like the West. And um, because before they could just do whatever they want. Uh, but now they have like this threat of um, a system outside of their power. So what I'm thinking a little bit, and I'm not sure about it, and I would love to have your opinion, is actually whether or not Bitcoin forces economic responsibility onto the states and therefore they actually live longer than they would naturally do? Now, that's a very good question. I think we're, we're talking about two sides of the same coin here. Uh, because Bitcoin can't really force anyone to do anything since it's completely opt-in. So it's, it's more disrupting than forcing. And uh, it's true, as you say, like totalitarianism, the, the hope people had or before Bitcoin is that totalitarianism simply doesn't work. It breaks down at some point because you can't centrally plan a society. It doesn't work and they break down. Like this was true for the Roman Empire and this was true for the Soviet Union. The same thing. It's just they, they faded out in different ways. I mean, uh, the Roman Empire took hundreds of years to disappear because people simply didn't know that if it existed or not. While as the uh, the Soviet Union sort of fell in weeks and it was just gone after after the Berlin Wall fell. That's, I, I heard some uh, Russian person tell me the story about how they the way he described it was that they he they all fell asleep as communists one day and they woke up and no one was a communist anymore, which is weird. 
the way I see it, the West is sort of the new East uh, at this point. And what happened in, in Germany, for instance, when East Germany and West Germany were united again, which we're always told the story that now East Germany is free and they can have all this wonderful free market stuff. But the ideas from East Germany sort of lived on and, and smitten some of the West Germans, like because the East Germans said that, oh, you have to pay for childcare. Why is that? Uh, it was free in East Germany. And though the West Germans go, oh, why do we have to pay for this again? Uh, I don't remember. We should vote for people that want to make it free. And the same with healthcare and everything else. So, I mean, bad ideas can spread and propagate just as much as good ideas can uh, if their marketing is good. So we're sort of falling into the same trap here and the EU is slowly... I I always uh, imagine the EU flag with a red ba- background instead of a blue background because it's <laughs> that's basically what it's turned into at this point. But then again, I think a fast transition to uh, hyper-Bitcoinization is, in my opinion, uh, preferable to a slow transition because all it does is remove violence from the equation. So, so the, the quicker that process goes, the, the, the better. And I think when people are finally orange pilled so, so that they, they actually get Bitcoin, uh, then all the other illusions crumble. So, so you can't really understand Bitcoin properly without also understanding that any type of state <laughs> or any type of coercion is morally wrong. If you don't grasp that concept, you, you're not really a Bitcoiner yet, are you? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so, so I think that that uh, in that sense, well, we can't force people to become Bitcoiners. We can't force people to become consensualists and non-aggression principled people. It has to happen organically because otherwise we're violating the non-aggression principle ourselves. So all we have is words and communication, and that's all Bitcoin is. So this is the the non-violent revolution and. In my mind, I'd like to see it play out as, as fast as possible. And I think it's just a matter of people accepting Bitcoin for their goods and services. I don't see anything breaking down because the guy at the local supermarket starts accepting Bitcoin. Rather the opposite. He would make more profits. He would expand. He would get more influential and people around him would flourish or uh, thrive. So that's that's how I see this playing out. And of course, like... State actors want to make life miserable for people for periods of time, but we should remember that they're already doing that. And and this is just a a means of protest that we haven't had before. We can uh, vote with our feet and vote with our words. Because when Bitcoin is words, it's it's ones and zeros. It's it's just mathematics. It's just we can all be a one-man revolution. (laughs) And we're all a one-man army fighting the galactic empire and bitcoin is the photon torpedo fired at the death star's thermal exhaust port and we're using the orange glowing force to guide the missiles into the right hole the rabbit hole of the of the empire or or the some other hole the show is also sponsored by orange pill app the bitcoin only social network where you can stack friends who stack sats you can connect with your favorite bitcoiners on the app make local connections, and even connect with Bitcoiners around the world. You can see what's going on in your area and organize and attend local events. I've been to multiple events organized on Orange Pill App, and they brought Bitcoiners together from all over. And now, with group chat, it's easier than ever to stay in touch with all your Bitcoin friends. 
The best part is, you know it's high signal. There's no spam on Orange Pill app because everyone pays to be there. So download Orange Pill app on Apple or Android and start building your local network of Bitcoiners. Next up, the Bitcoin way. Their mission is to onboard, educate, and remove barriers to taking self-custody of your Bitcoin. They cover everything from cold wallets to nodes, no KYC Bitcoin purchases, inheritance planning, payments, and more. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or you're an experienced Bitcoiner looking to expand your freedom footprint, or you know someone who this sounds perfect for, the Bitcoin way has something for you. They have a skilled team, well-versed in the Bitcoin space, and their goal is to make all the complexities of Bitcoin as straightforward as possible for everyone. And the best part is you can get started with a free 30-minute call with their team. Go to thebitcoinway.com contact for more info. Our newest sponsor is Geyser. They are the portal to the creator economy on Bitcoin. On Geyser, creators can monetize their work through their communities in a social and engaging way, and supporters can send sats to their favorite projects. Geyser has also recently integrated with Zaps and Podcasting 2.0, so every Zap sent to a Geyser address shows up on the Geyser page. We have a Geyser fund ourselves. It's the best way to support our show directly with Bitcoin. So whether you're a creator or a supporter, check out Geyser at geyser.fund today. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. What a picture. <laughs> I, I, um, actually, I just wanted to um, you know, expand or like comment on, on, on one of the things you said. Um, because, you know, like deep in my heart, I really hope that... Um, we really, I, I really hope that uh, most people recognize this and also recognize this on their own um, through through the market. You know that maybe like you know one day they they wake up and their money is like worth uh, half it was it was it was used to be worth or um, you know uh, like this concept of like this central bank digital ledger and so on. You know this becomes so bad um, that um, people should like look for another solution. On the market, yeah, and people actually get educated by the market, and this is how we can make this um, transition um, peacefully. Um, but where I'm a little bit still, um, this is why I also actually argue in the in the book for it, like this um, concept of, of of like this, this minimal state um, as a I call it step, you call it gradual process. Um, I really believe that. Um, when the system swings, yeah, people who have the means, people who have the wits, people who have the possibility, obviously they will move. Yeah, like if so, I'm I'm based in like Munich, Germany. Um, if if things get too socialist and too crazy here, I'm the first person who will leave. Yeah, no question asked. I will take my Bitcoin with me. I will take my family with me, and more or less we are gone. Yeah, but the problem is just that not everybody has this possibility. Um, and what do these people do? I mean, they have to stay and then they have to endure the, the state, basically. And the state will only get worse and worse and worse because if you defund the state, if economic productivity leaves a country, the state basically has to finance itself with less and less taxes because all of the economic actors have left, right? So what do they do? They actually squeeze the people who are still there even more. Um, and this like, is not affected, though. <laughs> True, Bitcoiners not affected. Yeah, yeah, man. Like this is this is why I love to others to to other Bitcoiners because you are you are open to let's just say the radical solution. And um, uh, you know, 
people who know me like really, really well, they will all call me, Alex, you are like enemy of the people because you are always su suggesting these radical solutions to, to, to problems. But I'm just like, no, the, the, the honest truth is this would be just nature. You know, like if the people, um, if the people who, um, have the means to, 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 to be gone are gone, this basically means the most capable the most capable people they will basically leave and the people who are not capable they should stay there and we as humanity we upgrade and evolve to like the next system and over time in 200 years the people who stayed within the state before it finally died um it's just like a it's just like a note in history but it's not like a big thing anymore you know um and i'm you know when i'm with like a like circle of my friends i'm always like discussing this and it's always like no 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 this is too radical this is too whatever but personally i'm actually also thinking like this um and for instance let me let me give you like one example um because like coming back to this nature concept um I was actually also reading some um, books about um, about uh, like let's just say different animal kingdoms. Yeah, like how does nature solve problems we have as humans? For instance, um, in the West we have a society which is very old. Yeah, you have a, you have um, a lot of old people, um, and young people need to pay taxes to actually um, support the healthcare system. At least uh, this is a problem we have in Germany. So I got interested. Okay, what does nature do to 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 like solve this problem? And here comes something which at first um, was a little bit radical, but I had to smile because um, it's um, about termites. Termites against ants um, because termites and ants. They are fighting for the same territory in forests. Okay. And the termites, like ants, they are like a, like a hive. They have different jobs to be done. Um, and when they get older, um, they are not maybe able to carry, um, something anymore because they are too weak and they don't have, let's just say, an active function in the society anymore. So, um, in these wars with the ants, um, they develop when they get to a certain age. They develop um, a sort of liquid in their body, which turns them more or less into bombs. So they basically can explode themselves. So the crazy part is when they have these wars, like these older termites, they are like the first line of the war. They go to the, to the ends and then they just like explode. And then society basically is rejuvenated again because they basically win the war because of this and they get like new territory. So. What I'm basically want to say is, nature is fucking cruel. <laughs> so it's it's not. It's, yeah, it's, and unfortunately, it reminds me of some of the latter human conflicts we've had. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. And for me, this is just always like you know, when I'm when 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 I'm listening to arguments of uh, of friends and so on, and I'm like, hey, you know, this is. I'm I'm pro human. You know, I'm not like against human, but uh, but uh, but uh, but uh, but. Uh, uh, Really, the core of everything is nature because we are living in a world ruled by nature. Yeah. And, um, to neglect that, um, and to say, Hey, everybody can have the most beautiful life. It's just not possible. Um, and personally, uh, you know, taking this journey from the system we are living right now, um, to this journey, uh, to this, to this, to this, to this beautiful vision of Bitcoin, I just hope for like a transition, which is not like, you know, too violent, which is not like too, um, it doesn't get too crazy, but I definitely know it could be. So personally, I'm like, yes, I want this hyper Bitcoinization, but we have to find a way where not like, um, you have like the minimal amount of human suffering. Because I think if you go the crazy route, if you would go Bitcoin from tomorrow, 
all of the Bitcoiners would leave. They would all meet in like one, two, three, four, five countries. And the rest of the world would just basically um, either go on because they get like a new narrative uh, down their throat and states would survive. Yeah. Or um, uh, they would just like be at like war with each other, like a civil war everywhere. And, um, uh, you know, half of humanity would basically whatever die or, uh, and I don't know whether this is something we want. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so so here's just to play the devil's advocate here for a while as a Misesium counter argument to the nature thing. Mises categorizes competition into biological com- competition, which is the thing you would describe with the ants, or just basically might is right and uh, fang and claw, whoever has the biggest bond wins. But humans have another way of resolving conflict, and that's catalactic competition which is basically free market competition in which everyone wins because trade does not happen if both parties don't believe that they have some something to gain from the transaction. That's what consensualism is. And this is what Bitcoin does. It enables us to communicate in, in a way to allow for catalactic competition rather than, than biological competition. And how, how powerful catalactic competition is uh, as an alternative to just violence is so underrated. And it's, it's the reason we have anything. It's the reason we have houses, roads, fire brigades, anything, hoses. It all comes from lowering your time preference to build something and then trading that something with someone else. Trading a good service with other people. So, so I think that's all Bitcoin does. It removes the noise of, of biological competition and allows for a completely catalactic society. And I said before that you can vote with your feet and go to some place else. And you alluded to that the, the place you're leaving might become a shithole if all the brains move away from it, which is true. So we need foot soldiers on the ground as well. We wouldn't want you know, Europe to be a wasteland and everyone's moving to El Salvador. That's not the solution for Europe, but that's not going to happen. Uh, like the way I see that is that the, the competition between states comes from the brain drain and from people moving out. That's, that's what's forcing countries to adopt more laissez-faire rules and more, more favorable rules to Bitcoiners in the long run. Of course, we're in the early stages of this, so, so and it's hard to predict the future, so we'll all have to wait and see how it actually plays out. But the, the thing I know is that w- when I'm in a place where there are a lot of other Bitcoiners around, all the problems go away. Even if we need to use fiat for this or that, there's always a Bitcoiner who has some fiat and we can sort it out anyway. It just tends to work whenever you're around other Bitcoiners, and that's... Uh, one of the more beautiful aspects of it, I think. But it's a good debate to have. Like, do we prefer a fast or a slow uh, transition into hyper-Bitcoinization? Like and subscribe and comment below. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And brush your teeth. Luke, do do you have any final questions for Alex before we, we wrap this thing up? Uh, well, to to be honest, I've I've really enjoyed the overview of of what you're getting at with your book. I think I think we're kind of like minded here in a lot of ways. And well, a- any other final points that you're you're trying to make that you think might be a little bit different from what you've seen in other books or uh, information about Bitcoin and the anarchy space? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, bring up this notion of, let's just say, minarchy again. I know that uh, we talked about this steps versus versus um, uh, gradual change. Um, 
because you know, as we said, in most of the literature, um, uh, we have this uh, argument that like this minimal state um, is not possible because uh, states grow like cancer, and I'm I'm I, uh, I think this is true. However, I actually think that uh, through Bitcoin, um, this concept of a minimal state is is possible for the first time, and uh, before we can get to like this complete hyper Bitcoinization, um, living without any states whatsoever. Which I'm, you know, personally, I'm for it. I would love to say, hey, I'm a 100% convinced anarcho capitalist. I'm just thinking, okay, to actually be that, we need um, this like uh, middle, you know, stage uh, where states are just like completely compromised in their ability to fund themselves, uh, in the ability to go to war with each other. And in like, they, they just have to be completely restricted to their um, initial um, uh, meaning of conflict resolution. And then from there, we can actually transition to a world, call it an act capitalism, call it the Bitcoin vision, call it whatever you want, um, in a world of peace, basically. So, um, yeah, and that's all. Um, super, like, I super enjoyed the conversation and uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Alex. I'd, I'd just like to, to point out that there are two things that the, the leftists get right. And that's defund the police and my body, my choice. They just haven't thought through the implications of what that actually means. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and maybe one more thing, because I forgot to mention it, sorry. Um, like, you, you don't have to buy the book, actually, so it's available for free. I actually put it up on a domain. It's called monetaryanarchy.com. You can read it there. You can download a PDF. And if you actually want to, like, read it on, like, you know, as paperback or on your uh, Kindle, you can also get it um, on Amazon. But all of the information is on monetaryanarchy.com. Anywhere else you'd like to direct people, Twitter, uh, anything else, for example? I'm not like super active on Twitter. However, I have a profile there and I actually read uh, through my tweets. It's Alex Che Ether, E-S-E-R, um, on, on Twitter. You can follow me there. You can shoot me a DM. And if you want to talk about the book or anything else related to Bitcoin, I'm always all ears because uh, we have to make this thing happen. Fantastic. Back to Knut to send us off. Great. Make sure to check out the book. And... Uh, Thank you for tuning in to the Freedom Footprint Show. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> See you on the internet. Yeah, Thank take you. Take care. Have bye a bye. great weekend.